Good morning. Have you ever felt like this life is a struggle? <laughs> I guess I'm guessing yes, right there. <laughs> this is great because we're gonna. This is great. All right, so we're already on the same page. We're already moving ahead. We're all set here. Do you ever feel like your desires, your desires themselves, overtake your common sense? Do you ever feel like there's a war between what's right to do, what you want to do, and what you end up doing? If you said yes to any of these, and obviously we got the first one, we probably got the other two, then you're normal. Because there is a war that's going on. There's a war of the passions. Your passions themselves always war against your soul. And for this war... This war is for the glory of God. This war is for the outcome of your souls. And this war is for the souls of other people. And so, Peter, in this passage, is going to tell us um, who is in the war. He's going to tell us how to fight the war and why we fight the war. So let's look at this. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, and we pray that you'll be with us today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will be strong, that you will be mighty, that you will uh, just weld this truth into our hearts, into our minds, and into our souls, that we might understand this and that we might use this, and that our lives, because of it, will bring glory to you. In your name, amen. As we look at these verses, right off we see four different things that are taking place. First of all, we see a description of who we are, and it's quite lengthy. We're going to take just a minute to look at that. Then we see that there's a war, and this war is between our passions and ourselves. It's waged against our soul. We see that we must keep our conduct clear among the Gentiles. And by the Gentiles, Paul's, or Peter, I should say, is referring to non-believers. The, third, or the fourth thing that we see is that if we do this, if we keep our conduct pure, then they will see our good deeds and they will glorify God. Today we're not going to look at the section on keeping our conduct honorable because the rest of the book of 1 Peter is really about that. And we see in there that we see how to keep our conduct pure for the rest of the book for people in authority, bosses, uh, workers, husbands, wives, those who suffer, how you keep your conduct uh, uh, pure while you're suffering, as well as uh, doing good. It tells us how to get along. So the whole rest of the book is set up on how to keep your conduct pure and holy. So 
I would encourage you right now to read the book of 1 Peter from start to finish. We're going to be spending about the next six months, is that right? The next six months in the book of 1 Peter. If we spend six months in the first in one book, you want to feel at the end of six months that you know what's in this book, and you know it from start to finish. So I'd encourage you to read it once a week for the next six months. If you do that, you'll have read it through 24 times. This book will become a part of you. If you're a new Christian, the Bible seems like it's a mystery and you don't really know what it's about. Or if you're an older Christian, just haven't spent that much time in the Bible. Here's a chance. Here's an opportunity to take one book and hear it preached on week after week after week. As you read it week after week. And it's all going to come together and it's all going to make sense. This is a chance to store up God's word in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. Don't waste this opportunity. It's only five chapters long. You can read it at one sitting if you have the patience, or you can read it one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. Monday all the way through Friday. You can do it. It's, it's an easy thing to do. So, With that said, let's take a look at this war. Let's see, first of all, who is in this war. It says there's two participants that are directly involved in the war, and this is yourself and this is your passions. These two are pitted against each other. One of these will win, and one of these will lose. It says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There's two that are indirectly involved. And this are the non-believers or the uh, people that we come in contact with. So they have to be close enough to see our lives. They have to be close enough to, to observe and see. And then it was God who's going to get the glory. It does say that these uh, non-believers will speak evil against you. But the primary battle itself, what we're looking at, is between your passions and your soul. And this is going to, what your passions end up doing are going to dictate what your behavior behavior is. Picture Christian, or picture people that you know right now who aren't Christians and who observe you. These people may despise God. These people may despise other Christians. But this text tells us, as they observe us, that they will give glory and honor to God. Let's look at who we are. Verses 9 and 10 give us a huge, and the first part of 11 give us a huge list of who we are. It says we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are people of God's possession. We are called out of darkness and to light. We were once not a people, but now we are God's people. We have received mercy. We are exiles. We are sojourners. If it says we're exiles and we're sojourners, it implies that we have a citizenship somewhere else. That citizenship is in heaven. If God gives us this list, this huge list, ten different uh, uh, illustrations or or pictures of who we are, it's got to be important. It wouldn't be there if it wasn't important. And it wouldn't have some direct impact on how we fight this war against our passions. So, to see an example of this, let's look at Acts. Acts 22, verses 25 through 29. We're going to look at Paul. Paul is taken prisoner, he's bound up, and he's about to be whipped. It says, but when they had stretched him out for the whips... Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful 
for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen, uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune, and he said to him, What are you about to do, for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. What does Paul do when he's bound up and he's about to be whipped? He says, I am a Roman citizen. His citizenship enough is enough to get him released just by the very fact that he's a Roman citizen. So, when our enemy, when our passion has us bound out and laid out and ready for the whips, one of the tools that we use is to remember who we are. We are citizens of heaven. We are God's holy people. We are God's children. And we need to remember this during those times of battle. So that's who we are. That's who the participants are. Let's look now at the war itself. Where is this war fought? Where is the battlefield for this war taking place? This war is fought on the inside. It's inside. It's against our passions. It's against our soul, which is where it's fought. But the outcome is going to be seen on the outside. It's going to be seen in our actions. It's going to be seen in our behavior. It's going to be seen in our conduct. But it takes place inside. But that's where it ends up going. James chapter 4 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The passions are at war within us. Whether we win or whether we lose will be seen by those around us. We know that. It's easy to see that. We can look at the people around us. We can look at our family. We can look at our friends. We can look at the people at work. And we can see the battle take place. We can see the actions. We can see what happens. It's very, very clear. And for them looking at us, it is just as obvious whether we have won this battle or we have not. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan starts out, and there's a guy who is uh, beaten. He's left half dead. He's by the side of the road. We have three people that go by him, three people that have this battle that takes place for their passions and what they should do, what they know is right. So the first two we go through are religious leaders. So we know beyond a shadow that these people know exactly what is right, exactly what is wrong, exactly is what to do. So there's no misinformation, there's no missing piece. It's either they're going to do it or they're not. And we can see that they lose the battle. One walks right by, one walks by and goes to the other side of the street so he's as far away as he can possibly be and still be on the road to get through. We now have the Samaritan comes through, and he has that same battle. He looks at the time it's going to take. He looks at the hassle it's going to take. He looks at the money that he's going to extend, and he wins this battle. He picks up the guy. He puts him on his, uh, I forget what it was, a donkey or a horse or a goat or whatever it was, but he put it on there, and so he takes him there. He brings him to the innkeeper. He pays for him. He says, look, if it's going to be any more money, I'm going to take care of it. He does all this stuff. Who is affected? by this. Who was affected by him winning the battle? The guy who was injured? The innkeeper? Himself? Us as we 
learn about it and read from it, and God who ultimately gets the glory. These are the people who are affected by his actions. Who's affected by your actions? Who's affected by this battle that takes place in your life? Think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your enemies. Think about your co-workers. If you're a student, think about your co-students. These are the people who are affected by it. This war takes place inside, but it comes out in our actions. It comes out in our behavior. And they're going to watch, and they're going to respond. If we win this battle, they're going to see it, and they're going to give glory to God. And our desires and our actions will become holy. But if we lose, if we lose this battle, our desires are unholy. Our actions are unholy. And they will end up despising God. They will say, look at this guy. He says... Or she says she's a Christian, and look at them. Look at what they do. J.C. Rowell says, Our lives will always be doing either good or harm to those who see them. They are a silent sermon which all can read. So this war is critical. And we need to see this. And we need to wage war against our passions. How do we wage the war? If it's this critical and this important, how do we wage the war? John Piper says this. He says, The battle for the soul and the battle for the glory of God is fought first at the level of our desires and then at the level of our behavior. First at the level of what we feel and then at the level of what we do. So how we wage the war, here's five different ways that we wage the war. Number one, first, we must be able to recognize the enemy. Jesus in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount says, actually it's not on the Sermon on the Mount, but it is in Matthew. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, witness, and slander. These are some of the enemies that we have. Phil at youth group uh, last time posed a question to us. He said, if you had a day in which you had no obligations at all, you had a day where you didn't have any schoolwork, you had a day when there was no work to do, a day that you could do anything that you wanted to do, what would you do? This is one way to tell what our passions are. And I would even include in that when you've had time, when you've had a day like that, or maybe you haven't had a whole day, but maybe you had like three or four hours, for me it's when Mickey and the kids are gone, what do you do? That's really what your passions are. What do you do? What would you do if no one could see you and no one would ever find out what you did? What would you do? This is one of the ways to look at our passions. So just to name a couple, just so we can kind of look and see what these are. Some of these passions might be for comfort, for peace and quiet, or for freedom from disease or freedom from suffering. You can see that some of these are legitimate, good passions. Some of these might be for my side of the argument always being heard, for my being accepted by other people, for my ease, for not having to work hard. Or you might see them as appetites, appetites for entertainment, appetites for money, for recreation, an appetite for the praise of other people. Or we can see them as fears as well. We can see them as fears of failure, 
a fear to be laughed at, a fear of being wrong, a fear of not having security or health in old age. What are your passions? Or what are your fears? Or what are your appetites? What are your desires? What are these things that are going to wage war the strongest? That's the first thing. Number two, we need to recognize what the enemy's goal is. What is his goal? What is the enemy trying to do? You see, passions can be good or passions can be bad and they can be misused. So what is the goal? The goal is to get you away from God. The goal is to get you away from others. The goal is to ultimately corrupt your conduct so that your conduct among the Gentiles will be dishonorable. Their goal is to get you off of others and onto yourselves, onto your wants, onto your problems, and onto your needs. And they can do this using good things or bad things. They have won the war. They have won the war too if we are too sleepy or too dull or too inside of ourselves to even realize that there is a war that is taking place. The third way, we need to recognize how they operate. We need to recognize how this works out in our life. James chapter 4 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is how it works. It starts out with your own desire. And this desire gets stronger and stronger. And it gets bigger and it gets bigger. And finally, it overwhelms you. And then... It turns into sin, and sin left unchecked will turn into death. It's kind of like if you're, excuse me, it's kind of like <coughs> you're in Iowa. You live in an Iowa, and uh, it's tornado season. And there's a tornado that's coming. And they've sounded the warnings. And they've told everyone to go below and to go into the basement and to go into shelter. And you want to see this tornado so bad that you're standing out there. And you see this wall of black clouds come in. And you see the funnel cloud. And people are yelling to you, get in the house, you idiot. <laughs> it's like, get into shelter. Get in. And you don't hear anything. All you see is that. This is what your desires are. This is so strong. There might even be a child in a tree afraid, scared to death to come down the tree. And there might be two or three people trying to find a ladder. Some of the mothers or the women trying to talk this little child out of the tree, and you don't see anything. You see nothing but the twister that's coming closer and closer. You don't see the danger that you're in. You don't see the danger that your child's in. You don't see all the work that all these other people are doing. You only see yourself and the twister. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. That's what their goal is. That's what they're, what they're trying to do. See, it takes you away from God. It takes you away from others. And it puts it only in you. 
only in you. It weighs you down. It drags you under. We need to do, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he said, we need to talk to ourselves and not listen to ourselves. We listen to these passions. We listen to the desires. We listen to these things that just keep talking and talking and talking. And we don't talk to ourselves. We need to say, no, this is not right. This is not right. This is not necessary. There's no reason for this. This is simply my flesh crying out. This is my passions that are acting out. I need to abstain from the passions of my flesh. I need to keep my conduct honorable. These passions for ease, these passions for entertainment, leave us so entangled in the world, so entangled in ourselves, that we do little good for those around us. Do a little good for God and a little good for those around us. If this is what wins the battle, if this is what wins the war. Number four, we need to recognize that it is normal to be at war. This is the normal situation of the Christian. I know that whole last part sounded so defeatist. <laughs> so, but this part needs to be that we recognize that we are normal, that we are at a battle. If this wasn't normal, if this wasn't common, this wouldn't be in the Bible, and we wouldn't see this same thing. In fact, we see this over and over. We saw it in James already. We mentioned it in, in Matthew. This portion of this idea is found three different times in the book of 1 Peter alone. That's one of those reasons as you read it, you see these phones. It's like, oh, I saw this already. Oh, I see this again. This whole piece is coming back. This must be extremely important. So J.C. Rowland tells us that it's a healthy sign of being a Christian and of being sanctified. And he says it's a proof that you are not spiritually dead. If you're in this battle, it's a proof. He also says a true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. He may be known by his warfare as well as his peace. Number five, the text tells us that the best way to win this battle is to abstain from the passions. That's the best way, is to abstain. A tree is most easily uprooted when it is young, when it is a sapling. If it's left to be full grown, it is almost impossible. You need heavy equipment or a fierce storm to come in and uproot that tree. When these passions first enter our mind, when they first come as uninvited guests and they're standing at our doorstep, we need to tell them to leave then. If we invite them in and we sit them down at the table and we eat with them and we drink with them and we laugh with them, they are no longer our enemies, but they are our friends. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 
keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So those are the five ways that we can battle these things. As we look at this floor and we see this, we can see some dangers in there. And I'm just going to touch on three dangers this morning. Number one is the passage says that we battle against these passions, but it also says keep your conduct honorable. So a lot of our temptation is to keep the conduct honorable, and we forget the part about waging war against the passions. And so we only look at the outside. We only look at our conduct. We only look at our behavior among other people. If you do this, then you have the danger of legalism and its sisters, hypocrisy and spiritual pride. This is all just conduct on the outside and nothing on the inside. This is a shell of religion that's empty. Listen to the warning that Jesus gave. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for they clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. We want heroes and not hypocrites. We want men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God and not filled with emptiness and not filled with the fear that someone will find out what they really are like on the inside. We want men and women who are strong. We want men and women who are solid. We want people who once were not a people but now are a people of God. If we put on a cape, we do not become Superman. Superman is Superman because he is Superman. It's what's inside of him. It's who he is. It has nothing to do with the cape. It's who he is. And so for us, for us, it's not the cape of our conduct. It's the fact that we are a chosen race, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a royal nation, that we are a people for his own possession. This is why we fight this battle. This is why we fight the battle at the level of the passion so that its outcome is true. Its outside is the same as the inside. Second danger. Feeling overwhelmed with the whole thing. Feeling like there's no way that you can ever do this. Feeling like there's no way that you can ever live. Feeling like you have so failed so many times that you just plain want to give up. Yes, you have failed. You may have failed every single time up to this point. But what does God say? What does God say? You will win this war. He says, I will never, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have started a good work in you and I will be faithful to complete it. This is God himself talking to us. He started the work. He is faithful. He will complete it. This is where your faith is going to do the most good. This is when your faith is going to help you the absolute most. Do you really believe 
Do you really believe that God will do what he said he will do? When he says nothing can separate you from my love, do you believe him? Do you believe that your failures cannot separate him? Do you believe that your passions or your conduct or your past can separate you from the love of God? When God has said nothing, where God has said there are no exceptions, do not make an exception. Do not make an exception where God says that there is none at all. Don't say that God is not powerful enough to overcome my sin. Don't say that God is not powerful enough to overcome my failures and my shortcomings and everything that I've done in my past life because he has said it and it is true. This is where your faith will help you the most. If you feel that you've lost a battle, remember to get up. It is not the end of the war. Lean on another brother. Do not be the only soldier on the battlefield. Seek out others who are there. Jesus has told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we at King of Grace want to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is why we are here. This is why we're called the body. This is why we have care groups. This is why we come together. So let the strong help the wounded. Let them carry them to safety. If there's two of you who are wounded, lean on each other and hobble to safety. We must realize that we are in a battle and we are in the war and there will be wounded. It's no shame. There is nothing. It is a fact. This is a fact. This would not be in here if it wasn't. So we need to help each other. We need to help the wounded in any war. You help the wounded. We need to next remember why we fight this war. It is for God's glory. It is for our souls. And it is for the souls of others. If we have a right understanding, if we know why we fight this war, it will be much easier to fight it. It will be much easier to see if we are making any progress on it. We fight this war for the glory of God. We fight this war to point other people to God. We fight this war to become more holy ourselves. We fight this war to win souls for God. We fight this war to encourage brothers. We fight this war to build them up. We fight this war to keep them from falling and to keep them from sinning, to keep them supported. See, if we think that we fight this war for ourselves, for our own happiness, for our own comfort, for our own well-being, for our own uh, selves, then we're going to be like the seed that was planted on the rocky ground. As soon as the scorching sun of tribulation or persecution comes, or difficulty comes, or depression comes, or failure comes, we will wilt. We cannot stand up to it. But if we remember why, if we remember why, this is for God's glory. Because the text says that they will speak evil against us as well. So we know that persecution will be involved as well. So if we feel like they persecute us and we fail, 
if we feel like we failed because we're not happy, because we don't have all the comfort that we want, we, won't have the, we don't have the assurance that we want to have, if this is all we look at, then we're going to lose because of that. We need to understand it's for God's glory. We need to understand it's for our sanctification. We need to understand that it's for the good of others. If we do this, then we can keep our conduct honorable, not only among the Gentiles, but among our families as well. So with that said, it's important to realize that we will have comfort, that we will have happiness, that we will have assurance that we have all these things. But if that's what you're shooting for, if that's the reason why you're in the war, you're going to have failing. If you realize the war is for God's glory, for your sanctification, for the good of others, you will have these things. Uh, we do have a slide for this one. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, We must be holy because our present comfort depends much upon it. We cannot be too often reminded of this. We are, we are sadly apt to forget that there is a close connection between sin and sorrow, holiness and happiness, sanctification and consolation. God has so wisely ordered it that our well-being and our well-doing are linked together. He has mercifully provided that even in this world it shall be man's interest to be holy. Our justification is not by works. Our calling and election are not according to our works. But it is vain for anyone to suppose that he will have a lively sense of his justification or assurance of his calling so long as he neglects good works or does not strive to live a holy life. We want people who feel comfort in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. We want people to feel this happiness. We want people to feel this joy. We want God-praising Christians who are happy. When's the last time you've ever heard anyone say, look at that guy, that guy's a Christian. He's always so unhappy. He's always so down in the dumps depressed. I want to be just like him. I want to be a Christian. <laughs> you never see that. Never, never. We want joy. We want happiness. We want these things. One of the ways to have this is to remember we are God's people doing God's work. Christ was persecuted. Christ suffered. We will be persecuted. We will suffer. If we if we only look at our happiness, we're going to feel like we failed, but we didn't. We want to be joyful Christians. Yes, you will have failures. Yes, you will have defeats. Yes, you will stumble. But you are God's child. He will see you through. He has prepared a place for you in glory and he's just now waiting for you to finish the race to join the others who are already there. This is where we look. This is where we get our joy from. We are fighting for God's glory. If we spend all our time looking down, 
We'll only see dirt and shadows. But if we look up, we will see the sun and the sky. The band can come up as we finish. Finally, what is also at stake are the souls of others. Listen to John Calvin on this. He says, We ought thus to strive, not for our own sake, that men may think and speak well of us, but that we may glorify God, as Christ also teaches us. And Peter shows how this would be affected, even that the unbelieving, led by our good works, would become obedient to God, and thus by their own conversion, give glory to him. And J.C. Ryle tells us this. He says, I believe that far more is done for Christ's kingdom by the holy living of believers than we are at all aware of. You may talk to persons about the doctrines of the gospel and few will listen. And still fewer understand. But your life is an argument that none can escape. There is a meaning about holiness which not even the most unlearned can help taking in. They may not understand justification, but they can understand charity. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So as we leave here today, we need to remember that we are in a war. This outcome of the war is God's kingdom, God's glory, our salvation, and the souls of others. We need to fight this first at the level of our desires, what we feel, and then at the levels of our behavior, of what we do. Sometimes our feelings are so strong that they are overpowering. Only through the Holy Spirit will we have the strength to do what we need to do. We don't want the passions of the flesh to destroy the holiness of our soul. We want the rewards that Christ promises us. We want to start our hope fully on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to set our hope fully on the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for us. We want to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father God, we come before you as wounded warriors, ones who have been on the battlefield and we have felt the sting of the weapons. We have felt the ground under our backs and our sides when we have fallen in agony. We have felt this pain sharply. And yet, Lord, You love us. You are with us. You pick us up 
with the help of our brothers and with the help of our sisters. You have promised us victory in this war. This war is for our souls. And you have guaranteed the outcome. And in fact, you have not only guaranteed it, but you have built us a home in heaven already. It's already there, just waiting for us to get there. So Lord, I pray that you will help us to know who we are. We are your children. We are citizens of heaven. Lord, I pray that you will help us to abstain from the passions of our flesh that wage war against our very souls. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And Lord, more than that, I pray that you'll keep our conduct honorable among our families. That we'll keep our conduct honorable among our friends, Lord. Be with us. Give us your Holy Spirit that we might do this. And Lord, we praise you that the battle is won. We praise you, Lord, that the outcome is assured. We praise you, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do. Nothing that we can do which will separate us from you. Which will separate us from your love. Which will separate us from Jesus Christ himself. Lord, we thank you. In your name, amen. Thanks, Jeff, for serving us so well with God's Word. Um, There's a lot there in that message and in that passage, I think, for us um, to really grow in, see lives changed. Uh, Just thank you for serving us this morning. And and, uh, I believe that's that's one for each of us just to think about uh, as I'm sitting there, just aware that we all face the challenge and the battle, and uh, and I think there's there's probably a number of groups of folks uh, represented here, uh, and that would interact with that message perhaps in different ways. I think for some of us, for some of you, uh, you are that uh, warrior who who's lying on the field, and a message like this is very overwhelming and intimidating. Just thinking about about that, and and you may feel discouraged. Uh, from wanting to get back in the battle. And I think there's a lot of truth for us uh, here and just the wonderful promise of God's grace, who we are, and the wonderful reward of a life of holiness, God being glorified, lives being changed. And um, and for us too, uh, Jeff mentioned it, that we need one another, that this isn't a battle we face alone. So for us as a church, uh, there are a number of things that we practice just to help one another. Our small groups, um, we, we do that not because small groups are kind of a cool, uh, latest type thing to do. It's because we need each other. God calls us to be a band of brothers in the war. And I honestly don't think there's any way for you to, to win the battle that you're facing without that happening, without that functioning in your life. And so for us, our small groups are a, a prime way to be a band of brothers. Uh, and just want to encourage you to, to come and check them out if you aren't part of one already. Uh, if, if you've lapsed uh, from attendance, I'd encourage you to get back in there. Uh, we don't expect perfect attendance, but, uh, but enough that we might experience the benefits 
of walking together. I could not be in the battle I would, without my brother Jeff and others around me. I wouldn't even recognize what's going on sometimes. I'd be so overwhelmed. But because of fellowship through small groups, uh, I get help, and so do we. So just, just some way uh, to apply that message, to consider that. Also, we would love to pray for you. That's, I think for some of us, you might be just discouraged, uh, and God would want to minister to you. So we'll, uh, after our worship and song to close, um, I or Jeff actually be over here in the corner. would love to pray for you. God is good. And he gives us this wonderful promise of, of, of holiness, of what he will do through holiness as we wage the war uh, according to the word and the power of the Spirit. So let us stand and sing to the Lord as we come before our great and gracious God to fight this battle by his grace for his glory.